From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. What if you knew that 365 days from now, you would have had the best year of your life? That is what we are talking about today. We have an incredibly insightful and influential and well-known guest. His name is Michael Hyatt. We will introduce you to him if you don't know him. We have become pals and buds, and I would definitely consider him a mentor over the last couple years. And he has this process based on his new book, Your Best Year Ever. Uh, It's a five-step sort of plan. We're going to talk through some of that. But I'm going to Actually, there were some really big breakthroughs that I experienced personally as a result of learning from Michael, three of them that I'm going to also share with you at the end of the show during the debrief section and in the action stage of this episode. But what a cool idea, right? Just think about that. If 365 days from now, you looked back and you said, that was the best 365 days of my life so far. How would that make you feel? And how would you feel now and every day between now and then if that is what you knew was happening, if that is what you knew you were pursuing, if that was the journey that you knew you were on? That would be pretty amazing. Well, we think that that is actually possible. We think that that is going to happen For some of you that are listening, if you follow the plan and you really keenly work to understand some of the insights that Michael is sharing here, which are very, very powerful, not the least of which is a huge research data point related to the power of accountability, which is obviously something that we believe in and that we can help you with at Southwestern Consulting. So let's make this episode like right now in the next however long this is 45 or 50 minutes or 60 minutes that this episode when you listen to it that this marks the start of your best year ever we'll get started just after this message this episode is sponsored by southwestern coaching Southwestern Coaching has helped over 12,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. 
This is the book, Your Best Year Ever, by my pal, Mr. Michael Hyatt. If you're not familiar with Michael, he's the former CEO of Thomas Nelson, a New York Times bestselling author of a, a few other books. And then this one is fresh out, depending on when you're looking at uh, this recording. Number one Wall Street Journal best-selling book right now, which I'm so excited about because it is a fantastic book. Um, your best year ever, a five-step plan for achieving your most important goals. And I want to mention, you know, depending on when you're listening to this, it, you start planning your best year at any point. So it doesn't, you don't have to wait for next New Year's resolution. Start doing it now. And uh, Michael, you know how much I admire you and appreciate you. And uh, I love this book. And so welcome back. Thank you for being here. Great to be on again. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is you mentioned a, a, a research-driven system for achieving, achieving your goals. And I think that's a really cool part of this. So when you say research, can you tell us like what was the research? What, what does that mean exactly? And, and obviously, you've got a long history of sort of personal observation and being around successful people and so forth. Sure. Can you just shine some light on that for us? Sure. Well, first of all, there's an entire discipline, scholarly discipline of goal achievement research. So there's all kinds of scholars, all kinds of studies out there. You know, we don't have to guess at it anymore. You know, sometimes people wonder, well, what really works? And you hear this anecdote and that anecdote from this speaker and that speaker, but there's really a scientific basis now for it. In addition to that, we've had 32,000 people in 110 countries go through my best year ever course over the last wow. five years. So we've collected data from those people. We know what works, what kind of works, what doesn't work at all. And we've been able to separate sort of the myth from the reality. Hmm. I gotcha. Well, that's interesting. And I, one of the things that I love about this is before diving into just sort of the prescriptive, here's what you should do. Um, I loved the opening conversation about limiting beliefs. And you talk about three different types of limiting beliefs. And I think just a little admission here, when I first, I think I first heard Tony Robbins, this was the first person I'd ever heard talk about it. And it seemed kind of yep. like hooey fooey to me. Um, but more and more, I've, especially as I've gotten older, I've really bought into this idea of, of limiting beliefs. So can you tell us what those are? And, you know, if you can, you know, talk about the three different types. Sure. Yeah. Well, so let me start with a story that I actually tell in the, uh, the book about my dog, Nelson. And so I had this dog when I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson. I thought it was kind of cute to name him after the company, but uh, he would bolt out the front door and we wouldn't be able to catch him like for 20 minutes. We didn't have a fenced in yard at the time and couldn't have one. So we then put in an electric or one of those electronic uh, invisible fences. And that was yeah. amazing because he got so trained that when he would approach that invisible fence, he gets this little vibration in his collar and he would shrink back from crossing the boundary. He got mm -hmm. so good at this, so trained that we removed the collar, never put it on again, and he never would cross the boundary, even if we held treats on the other side of the boundary. Wow. Why? Because the fence had moved from the external world to the internal world of Nelson's brain. And that's how mm. limiting beliefs function for most of us. We have some kind of experience, some kind of setback, some kind of challenge, and then we develop a limiting belief around it, which is like blinders or colored glasses that influence how we see everything. Some of these are global beliefs. Like we think, you know, well, the economy is messed up, so there's no possible way that we can succeed. Or, you know, whoever's president at the time, because they're the president, we can't succeed. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's like this, this global belief or all men are, you know, pigs or whatever it is. We develop these global beliefs. Then there's beliefs about other people where we start thinking about, you know, well, she wouldn't want to spend time with me. She doesn't find me that interesting. Or I'll never get the time of day from that person. But the most damaging ones of all are the beliefs about ourselves. And I hear these all the time, or you probably do too, where people say things like, I'm too old, or I'm too young, or I don't have enough education, or I've got too much education, or I don't have enough experience, or I've got too much experience. And I've heard it on, on both sides of the equation, but it really is a reality that for the most part exists inside our head. And that's the only place it exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's amazing, you know, just that the dog collar is such a great illustration of Nelson because they, you, you, they're there and then you don't realize they're there and it's like somebody else put it there and then it's removed and it doesn't, you can go beyond it, but you, 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 you stop. And uh, I think it's such a, just a, it's just a perfect illustration of, of how it works. And one other thing on this, there's a quote from that same section that um, I really love. It said, resources are never the main challenge in achieving your dreams. So can you kind of expand on that a bit? Yeah. Yeah, I have this fundamental conviction that resources always follow clarity or vision. So the resources don't show up until we get clear on what it is that we want. And so our job is to get clear on what we want and then the resources show up. Now, when we get this backwards, it's very dangerous Mm -hmm. because we might start thinking about the future and we think, well, I don't really have the money to achieve this. So I'm not even going to dream about it. I'm not even going to think about it. Or I don't have the network of contacts or I don't have the time. It's very important to get clear first on what you want and then trust that the resources will show up. And they do, but they don't come to people who aren't clear on what they want. Yeah. I mean, that is so huge because and sometimes I think we, we logic our way out of achieving dreams we say, yes. oh, because I don't have this, I don't have that, I couldn't do it. And, and like you're saying, if you start with the dream, then you're able to reverse engineer into what the path and the solution is. And um, that's good. That's good. Well, it's true. And sometimes the clarity of that will attract the resources. You know, when we're clear about what it is that we want, I mean, how, how could anybody align with us or lend us their resources or um, use their resources to help us if we're not clear what we want. So there's an attraction factor that happens when we get clear. It's a way of enrolling other people in the vision too, where they can bring their resources to the table and help us. I love that. And, and that it does, it's not just clarity for yourself. It's clarity for other people. Cause once you're clear about what you want, then they're clear about how they can or cannot help you. That is so that's, I've never thought about that that way. That is really cool. Um, So I want to talk about risk. Um, You, 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 you talk about risk and you kind of bring up this idea that you say, uh, actually risk, you know, almost like risk is your friend. And why do people avoid risk? And, and why are you saying that risk is a necessary part of this journey? Well, you know, in, in corporations especially, but I've really noticed this among salespeople. A lot of times people will, quote, sandbag their numbers. You know, they'll, they'll aim for a goal that's in their comfort zone because maybe in the past they've been upbraided or fired or penalized in some way when they missed a goal. And they didn't like the feeling of that. They didn't like the results of that. So they dial it down to something that's safe. 
But here's the thing, Rory, all the goal research says that that is a prescription for not hitting your goals. Why? Because if the goal is in your comfort zone, it's not going to ignite your imagination. It's not going to demand innovation. It's not going to focus your execution. Instead, it has to be dialed up into the discomfort zone. The goal has got to be risky. And that's why in my smarter framework, you know, which is my tweak of the smart framework, in the smarter framework, the first R stands for risky. The goal has got to be not in the comfort zone, but in the discomfort zone. Now, the major feature of the discomfort zone and how you know you're there is that you're uncomfortable. You feel fear, uncertainty, and doubt. You know, you feel like there's some risk that if you fail, you're afraid of that. Or maybe you're uncertain of the path. You've never done this before. You're not quite clear how you're going to get from point A to point B. And maybe you've got some doubt even about your ability to pull it off. Do you have what it takes to achieve this goal? If you feel that way, that's awesome. Those are positive indicators (laughs) that your goal goal is set in the discomfort zone. Now, Now, here's the distinction, though, that's important. You don't want to be in the delusional zone. You know, where Uh, you've dialed it so far up there that you don't have a chance of hitting it and you're deluding yourself, you're fooling yourself, it's not going to happen. So the trick is, almost like uh, the three bears, you got to get it just right. And it's right there in the middle in the comfort zone. Yeah, although, you know, I I feel like, you know, you gave some really good indicators there about you know, you might have, you might have some self-doubt, you might have some fear. And I would think that if you extend into that zone of delusional, you don't really have fear because you don't really, you know, it doesn't really seem possible. It's like, if you have a healthy fear, that's because you kind of know this could be possible. But if it's just such like a, you know, you're, otherwise you're just sort of talking smack and there's no substance. And so there's probably not any real corresponding fear. <laughs> Um, so I mean, that's, I, don't, I don't, that's totally true. I was, I was talking to a friend of mine, this is about three years ago. And this guy had never made more than $75,000 in his life. And so he got all excited about goal setting. He'd heard me talk about, it. he's actually my fitness trainer. And he said, uh, this year I'm going to make a million dollars. And I said, well, wait a second. You told me before that you've never made over $75,000. You're going to make a million dollars this year and talk about talking smack. That's exactly <laughs> what he was doing. He didn't have a clue. It was completely delusional. Well, as you can imagine, he got to the end of the year. He didn't get anywhere close to it, didn't make any more money than he'd made the previous year. And you know what he said? That goal setting thing doesn't work. And I said, no, no, no. Goal setting works. Goals in the delusional zone don't work. And that's exactly what he had done. Yeah. Yeah, that is. That's an interesting interesting distinction. So the... yeah. Well, so let's talk about the smarter framework. So there's, you know, these seven sort of attributes of effective goals and we're not going to have time to get into all of them. Of course, just a reminder, if you're just tuning in, your best year ever is the name of the book. Michael Hyatt is the author, number one, Wall Street Journal, best-selling book right now. So can you walk us through the seven, just kind of high level, sure. just, just list them for us? Yep. I'll give you the the ones that everybody knows, then I'll tell you how mine are different. So the S stands for specific. The goal's got to be specific, not vague. It's got to be measurable. You know, if you can put a number on it, all the better. Because then you know when you cross the finish line, then it needs to be actionable. So I always recommend that people start with an action verb, not a to be verb, but a good, strong action verb. Like, you know, run, walk, lose, earn, increase, decrease, something that's an action verb. 
Then the R stands for risky, which we already covered. The T stands for time keyed in my system because I make a distinction between habit goals and achievement goals are a little bit different. And the way that the time component works is a little bit different on each one of those. We can come back to that if you want to. But here's where it gets interesting. The E in smarter stands for exciting. If the goal's not exciting to you, you're not going to stick it out and cross the finish line. You're going to get to the messy middle where you're going to throw up your hands and you're going to say, you know what? This goal didn't mean that much to me. I just give up on it. So it's got to be exciting to you. Now, this is an important distinction, Rory. Every goal is a project, but not every project is a goal. And one of the key distinctives of whether or not it's a goal is, is it exciting? So I had a lady in one of my groups um, this last year who said, I'm having a hard time around one of my goals getting motivated. And I said, okay, so what's the goal? She said, I've got to reconcile my accounting. I'm several months you know, behind <laughs> on that. I got to reconcile it. And I said, okay, are you excited about that? She said, heck no, I'm not excited about that at all. And I said, okay, that's a project. It's not a goal. Every goal is a project, but not every project's a goal. That's set her free. Then the R stands for the goal has got to be relevant. It's got to be relevant to every other goal. You know, you can't have conflicting goals. It's got to be relevant to your season in life, aligned with your season in life. What I can do as somebody who's an empty nester with a lot of free time is very different than somebody like you now with small kids. So it's a completely different season and our goals need to be informed by that season. So that's the smarter framework. Yeah. I, and the, the exciting one, I was excited to see exciting in the framework because I actually, I actually wrote a blog post a couple years ago called Why Smart Goals Are Stupid. And the only point was that it was the, the original, the, in the original like publication, or uh, I think it was in an academic journal. It was actually in a management journal is where the smart goals came from. And it was talking about like yep. managing people. Um, it didn't have anything about emotion or purpose or passion or enthusiasm. It, you know, it was a specific, right. assignable or actionable, uh, you know, real, I think realistic was what they use. You've got risky and then time bound. Um, and it didn't have anything. And so I, I just, I really love what you're saying there that it has to be exciting. I think that's a core. I mean, would you say that's the most important or do you think they're all equally important or what do you think? Well, I think, I think they're all equally important. In fact, that chapter is called goals that check seven boxes. And so I use that kind of as the criteria when I'm an evaluator a goal, is it set up so that I can win? Now, here's a por- an important component of all this. Your goal's got to be written. Now, that sounds obvious, but I've spoken all over the country, like you have, to a lot of CEOs, senior corporate leaders, salespeople. I always ask the question, how many of you believe in the power of written goals? I mean, every hand in the audience goes up. And then I say, okay, I want you to be honest. How many of you have written goals for this year? Leave your hands up. Everybody else put your hands down. On average, 5% of the people are left standing. They've got their hands up still. Wow. Everybody's in it. Few people practice it, but this is a key uh, bit of research. Dr. Gail Matthews at Dominican University in California did a study, pretty large study. And one of the things she found is that people who write their goals down, as opposed to just you know, expressing them uh, orally or in some other way, people that write them down 
have a 42% chance, better chance of achieving the goal merely by writing the goal down. Wow. Yeah, I think it's good to, it's good to have some fresh, fresh numbers on that because you hear, hear all sorts of crazy statistics thrown around around you know, the, power, the power of writing down goals. So I think, I think that is really good. And I, you know, if you're not doing it, do you really believe it? And I think so many of us, I, I wonder if sometimes people don't do it just because they've heard it. And so that, you know, they've heard it so much and it's like, yeah, I know I should do it. It's kind of like, I know I should, I know I should not eat fast food. You know, I know I should not do this, but we, we just, we just totally. don't ex- execute on the thing now. Um, so what is a quit proof goal? So that was a kind of an interesting um, concept that you introduced is the idea of a, a quit proof yeah, you know, like no way you can you can quit this goal. I think a lot of people struggle, especially those of you that are listening. Like right as this is coming out, we're you know nearing a couple of weeks here in January, and so people are kind of those resolutions are becoming distant memories already. So can you walk us through that? Sure. This really comes down to the fourth part of my five five part framework in the book, where I talk about you know believe in the possibilities. Number one, complete the past is number two. Design your future is number three. And number four is find your why. Now, here's the thing. Inevitably, in the pursuit of any important goal, we're going to get to the messy middle. You know, this is where, like when you're running a half marathon, like I've done numerous times, um, you get to that point at about mile marker 11, where you're too invested to stop, but you just don't know if you've got the energy to finish. And it's really easy to get stuck at that point and want to quit. Unless... Before you begin, you've identified your why. People lose their way when they forget their why. And so one of the parts of my framework is to really drill down deep at the very beginning of the process, once you've identified the goal, to ask yourself the question, why? Why is that important? Why is it important that I achieve that? And keep peeling the skins of the onion back until you get about three levels deep. And I say come up with three key motivations that'll keep you going when you want to quit because the goal all of a sudden is not going to be that important anymore unless you can remember the why. Tell you a story. Um, Several years ago when I wrote my book, Platform, Get Noticed in a Noisy World, um, I I was writing it in a very busy season of my life. I was out speaking. I was trying to establish this new career as an entrepreneur and I just got busy. I had a commitment to the publisher that I would have the manuscript in by the end of November. Well, it came up to about September And I realized that I was so busy. My schedule was so jammed. There was no way I was going to do that. I had a a first draft that frankly wasn't very good. I wasn't very proud of it. And I looked at it and I got discouraged, even though that was my number one goal for the year was to get that book written and turned into the publisher. So I thought, well, you know, maybe this isn't the year. Maybe I'll just quit. Maybe I'll give the money back to the publisher. Maybe I'll queue it up for another year. Mm. And then... I remembered my why. I remembered that I had written down my key motivations. So I pulled out my goals, looked at my key motivations, and I found things like this. I want to write the book because I'm trying to establish my authority in this space and nothing like a book will establish your authority. I said, I want to help tens of thousands of authors who have been turned down by publishers who said, great concept, but you don't have a platform. I want to be able to help people build a platform and learn what I've learned about social media. So it was that why that got me to say, you know what? I can find time to finish this. I'm going to finish it. I've got to finish it. It's a must. It was that motivation. And I did. I was about a month late turning it in. 
But uh, the book got turned in. It went on to be a New York Times bestseller. And so it all came back to, to, to identifying my why early on at the beginning of the process. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. The part that makes sense to me is that the former CEO of Thomas Nelson missed their publishing deadline by a month. I find that, uh, I find that kind of awesome. Uh, but it happens. Uh, it's a great book. That was, that was the first book of yours that I read. That was really the, the you know, how I started kind of following you mm-hmm. and learning from you at a distance before we got a chance to meet. And it's, it's fantastic. In fact, um, you actually talk, you kind of talk a little bit about how visibility is essential and in yes. this okay and you you make this point about why visibility matters and um so can you can you talk about that and you know how, how sure. are they related or not related well this is a part of quit proofing your goals as well you've got to keep the goals visible and so often i see people frame up a set of goals you know they get eager at the first of the year or whenever they come up with a list of goals and then they file them away and don't look at them again. And we used to do this on a corporate scale, even at Thomas Nelson when I was there. We'd do an offsite planning retreat, come up with a brilliant plan, come back. And, you know, it was like, it was very difficult to get back to that and to review it on some kind of regular basis. So I encourage people in the book to follow a process where they're reviewing sort of the top line goals, seven to 10 goals for the year, reviewing those every day, just a quick scan ask yourself, is there anything I could do today to move uh, forward on one of these goals? And then once a week in a weekly review process, review not only the goals, but your key motivations so you can connect emotionally and intellectually with why that goal is important. And then on a quarterly basis, ask yourself the question, am I still committed to this goal? Does it need to be revised? Does it need to be removed? Does it need to be replaced by something else? But you've got to keep your goals visible. You've got to keep reviewing it. If you don't do that, I can virtually guarantee you that you're not going to achieve your goals. When you talk about the, the you know, finding, finding your why, I think a lot of people struggle with that. And how do you know when you have it? Is it, is it, is it basically that you have an emotional uh, like, uh, you know, response to it? Is that, is, that the ba- is that the best litmus test? No, I don't think it's just emotional. I think it could be intellectual. It could be intellectually compelling to you. You know, maybe just something that you're trying to solve, some problem that doesn't really have an emotional component. But if you could pull that off, it would really be interesting to you intellectually. Uh, It could be moving emotionally. You know, either one of those. But I think you've just got to ask yourself the question, why is this important? And if you can't come up with a good reason of why it's important, because honestly, it's going to take a lot of effort to accomplish the kind of goals that are in your discomfort zone. And if you can't come up with a compelling why, you're probably not going to go the distance and actually achieve the goal. So I just think asking yourself, not letting yourself off the hook, but just asking yourself the question, why is that important? And just brainstorm it. Keep writing, keep writing. Why is this important? Think of every reason you can, then go back and rank them. And I throw out all of them, but the top three. I feel like if I can focus Uh, on those top three, that's sufficient. Yeah, I think that's cool. So you kind of do the brain dump and then you know, take the three and you That's keep right. those because, because you're going to go to them when you're not motivated. You're going to go to them when you're on mile 11 and you want to quit or you're months before your publishing deadline. And then, um, I think that's really, really good. So I have one more question for you before we do that. Uh, obviously your best year ever is the name of the book. So you can get it just about anywhere where fine books are sold, but where do you want people to go, Michael, to, if they want to kind of connect with you and follow you? 
Uh, they go to my website at michaelhyatt.com is a great place. We do have a site for the book called yourbestyoureverbook.com. But as you said, it's available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, most places online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so this is the last thing. And, and I thought this was interesting that it found, found its way into the book. Obviously, at Southwestern Consulting, our core business is coaching and one-on-one coaching. And that's like what we do. And so we believe in accountability. And, and you just, you mentioned this part about the journey is better with friends. And you know, being yes. that this was sort of a researched book and, and that, I, I, was, I, was, you know, I was curious to see how did that make it past the cut and, and why is that such an important part? Yeah, well, let me uh, just quote this great um, verse from Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to the one who falls when he is alone, for he will not have another to lift him up. So, you know, this is ancient wisdom, but it's also been verified by science. Now, I've heard for a long time, in fact, I used to practice this, go public with your goals. And then I saw that very famous TED Talk by Derek Sivers, maybe you've seen it too, where he says, no, 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 no. The problem with going public with it, and the research shows, is that you get the same psychological bump as if you'd, have, as if you'd accomplished it. So you don't want to do that. People that go public with their goals all of a sudden think in their subconscious that they've accomplished the goal and, and kind of take their foot that. off the gas. People say, oh, that's a, so congratulations. That's going to be great. As if the goal was achieved. Right. Yeah. And, the, and there's a lot of distance that has to be covered between announcing it and actually achieving it. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you have to keep your goal to yourself. So Dr. Gail Matthews, whom I quoted earlier, another goal researcher, um, one of the things she discovered was that people who have accountability with other people raise their chances of achieving their goal by about 50%. And Mm. what you've got to do is share selectively, share selectively with people who will give you inspiration, feedback, and hold you accountable. Not beating you up or shaming you, but holding you accountable to what they know and you know you want to achieve. So I always suggest you get a small group of friends or a group of like-minded people who are all in this together will encourage one another, be positive in one another's life, and reinforce one another's best thinking and best achievement. Um, What you don't want to do is share your goals with people that are negative. People that will say, oh yeah, I remember the last time you tried that and it didn't go anywhere. You know, that's not helpful. And you don't want those kind of, you don't want to share your goals with those kind of people. Yeah. I, I, I love it. It's, it's not about people who praise you right away or shame you. It's inspiration, feedback, accountability. Wow, that is so powerful, the idea uh, of just raising your chances by 50% by, by sharing them. Well, I actually was honored and privileged to give an endorsement of the book. And one of the things that I said in my written endorsement was that Michael Hyatt is a master of intentional living. And I think if you follow him and you watch everything he does Thank you. Is intentionally and uh, you know, you don't hear about her in the public as much, although she's pretty public as his wife, Gail. Amazing, amazing people. And you guys make a big impact on the world. And so we're grateful for the thank book. You. We're grateful for your impact. And uh, thanks for making some time for us. Appreciate you having me on. Accountability. Wow. There you have it. Dr. Gail Matthews talking about people who have accountability with other people raise their chances of achieving their goal by about 50%. So that you heard here, just quoted here from Michael. 
which blows my mind because that is what we do at Southwestern Consulting, right? It's part of the core of what we believe in is one-on-one accountability. If you don't have that kind of accountability, the, the supportive but challenging kind, gosh, this is the time you should reach out and we'll connect you with one of the coaches. But that really, really just resonated with me of just the, the, the scientific power of that research, right? Is if you go, look, if you can just add accountability, you're, you're like doubling your chances that you're going to achieve achieve your goals. So there was lots of great stuff. Always, you know, every time you talk to Michael, it's just lots of lots of knowledge bombs. And there's a couple of things that I want to go back through here with the mental highlighter, one of which I actually missed during our conversation and only picked up on when I was listening to the replay. And it was a big one. And he kind of snuck a one-liner in there. So I want to make sure to highlight that so that you that you don't miss it in case, you know, like me, you missed it that first time around. So the first thing was just this, this, this limiting beliefs and that whole conversation. And I've been lucky to be surrounded by some people who are really big thinkers. I mean, lots of people in my life who are really big thinkers. And I think a lot of ways they have pulled me through various limiting beliefs that I have had and I've had great coaches and mentors and business partners and all that kind of stuff. But that metaphor of Nelson the dog, that is such a great metaphor, like a symbolic representation of exactly what we do. We get used to a limit and then we just assume that that limit is always there. So what limits do you have in your life right now? What limits have you placed on yourself in terms of your ability to whatever, make more money, in terms of the quality of your relationships, in terms of the level of influence that you will have? You have had one of those dog collars on, and I have, all of us have. We've all set these boundaries for what we believe is possible for our life. And the thing that is so crazy about it is it's safe. Our brain is designed to keep us safe and it's safe to live inside of those limits. That's part of why we create them. But they're not real. They are literally figments of your imagination. And I loved that quote from his book that resources are never the main challenge in achieving the goal. It's not about your resources. It's about your belief level. It is about your expectation level. It's about what you think is possible. And you go, and I've I've heard people say this before, and I've always gotten kind of frustrated. I'm like, okay, but, but how do I change my belief level? Like, that is my belief. And so how do I change that? And there's a, there's a couple different ways that you can do that, one of which is self-talk and affirmations. Your mind believes whatever you tell it most often. And so like a computer, your brain is just, a, a it's programmed and you're the one in control of programming it and you have programmed your limiting beliefs by repeating them over and over or unconsciously setting these boundaries that you believe to be at the maximum of, of what is possible for you. So part of it is is reprogramming. That's one of the biggest things that we work with people in coaching is we catch them on their self-talk. We help them understand sort of the science of self-talk and and deconstruct 
what that is and, and, and how that works. But one of the big breakthroughs that I have had here recently, and this was, it was actually the way that this was said was said directly to me by one of my, my best buds. His name's Jay Bear, and we've had him on the show a couple times. He's, he's one of my favorite people that I've ever learned from in the world of content marketing and um, just a great guy. And we were having a conversation about this, and the way that he phrased it, I thought captured it nicely. He said something to the effect of, I mean, the way that I internalized it was, don't construct your goals deconstruct your goals. Don't construct your goals, deconstruct your goals. So what do I mean by that? Well, what Jay was saying and what Michael is talking about here is that when most of us set goals, what we do is we sort of take something from our past, something that we've achieved, something that we are comfortable with, and we kind of construct our goals we we add like a moderate level of improvement or a lo- a moderate level of growth that feels safe and comfortable cuz we we know what it is and so we we kind of construct our goals we build on top sort of logically about what we're going to do well there's a couple problems with that one is it doesn't really like michael said it doesn't cause your creativity really to activate anything that feels that safe doesn't cause your the 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 creative juices to come alive it doesn't cause you to problem solve it doesn't activate your reticular activating system it it doesn't really force you to press and think and push and stretch and so what you do is you do more of what you've always done thinking that you're going to create this incremental growth and Oftentimes, you don't even create the incremental growth. I mean, at best, maybe you do create the incremental growth, but that's not the way that ultra performers would do it, right? That's not the way that you explode, that you multiply, that you 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 climb aggressively. What you do is you set the goal first and you say, this is what I want. This is what I feel called to do. This is what I feel led towards. This is the thing that God has placed on my heart. And I believe that God won't place something on your heart and then not give you the resources to figure it out and or to to use that goal to move you in a direction that he wants to move you in. So even if you don't achieve it, sometimes the reason that God's put, sometimes the reason that God puts goals on our hearts, I think, is because that is a way he is moving us in a direction. He's stretching us, he's developing us, and it may not be about that goal. It may be about a journey and about a process that he's preparing us for. He needs to prepare us into somebody for something else. But sometimes it is to achieve the goal, and whether you believe in God or not, maybe you can just get rallied around the idea that of, of just this, this, Pursue what you want, and if it's a desire in your heart, it's worth going after. And if it scares you, that's okay. That means that it is going to activate your creativity, that it is going to engage your senses, that it's going to cause you to pull in a multitude of your resources and to be resourceful to make it happen. And that's a good thing. That's a fun thing. And it is a scary thing, but it's also an exciting thing. And that's, that's where greatness lives. That's where you breed greatness from is 
out of that discomfort zone as Michael was talking about. But what the problem is, is that for most of us, it feels more comfortable to construct our goals, to basically say, this is what I've done in the past, so I'm going to add to that incrementally, and I'm constructing a goal. But what the ultra performers do, and I think of you know the record breakers, we have several record breakers on our team internally at Southwestern Consulting and a number of clients that have done these incredible, amazing things, is they don't kind of construct and build incrementally. They just start with the end goal and they go, gosh, that's what I want. That's what's exciting to me. That's what's compelling. That is what I want to do. And then once you've said that, you deconstruct the goal. So now you you ask the question, how? your The likelihood of your success is improved by intentionally creating the question, how, rather than accidentally relenting to the question, should rather than defaulting back to, I don't think I could do that, it's not logical. And that's what you have to be careful of. And especially those of you out there, if you're like me, if, if you're listening and you are an analytical and you're, you're very logical and you, know, you sort of maybe pride yourself on intelligence or you work, you're very good, you know, work through systems, the risk of that, right? There's a lot of strengths to being a person like that, but one of the risks is when it comes to dreaming, when it comes to setting goals, because you you logic your way out of your goal. You convince yourself that the goal is impossible because you've never done it. But what you have to realize is that when you deconstruct your goal, it's causing you to look at that goal through a different lens than you've ever looked before. And that is what the key shift is. That is, it, it causes a paradigm shift. It's, it's like if I'm used to always wearing glasses that aren't quite 2020, and I'm going to be convinced that what I am seeing, I am seeing clearly. It is what is really there. But if I am forced through some you know somebody forces me to or i gain the insight of finding oh there's another way to look at this and now somebody gives me a different set of lenses a a, a pair of 2020 lenses now i see things differently and because i see things differently i can act differently and i think that is how ultra performance takes place is when you set that goal first then you have to deconstruct it you're looking at it through a different lens And it's not the lens of what do I know how to do and how can I incrementally improve that? It's looking through just the lens of this is what I want. How could it become possible? And that's where your creativity engages instead of the logical part of your brain trying to add it all up based on your past experience and going, this doesn't add up. That's not possible. So that's what I would encourage you to do. And, you know, I think what Michael mentioned there about you know, don't be delusional. Don't be, you know, so real, you know, unrealistic. Um, although what I would say, you know, to this, to this gentleman that, you know, he's the example of, he made $75,000 and then he said he was going to make a million dollars, um, a year. I wouldn't say making a million dollars a year is delusional for that guy. What I would say is that it's pretty much delusional for him to make that leap all of a sudden. So what happens is you have to make leaps. You have to, you you typically 
part of establishing your belief barriers is you 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 have to push them and it's like it's very hard to go from zero to a hundred and in this case right the guy is not being open and receptive to feedback in his life which is that perhaps if he has that goal he's going to have to alter the the business model right if he's a personal trainer he might not be able to just go out and do a bunch of trainings he might be limited or or else he would have to do something that would drive the perceived value of what he does so high that he could raise his fee or he would keep his fees the same and he'd have to bring more people on right but he would have to come to that realization somehow in order to create that kind of scale and so you kind of grow you 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 grow steadily and you know so that's where i think it's it i don't really think of any goal as delusional other than in which the 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 speed or the pace at which you think for it to become realistic so that really based on the conversation uh, that i had recently with jay and and just what michael was saying in that story about the dog really here like always i'm sharing with you things that i'm learning and realizing for my own life about my own weaknesses and limiting beliefs is one as a logical analytical somewhat previously skeptical person are you know this is something that i've i've struggled with i think that's i think that's really cool so don't construct your goals deconstruct your goals that's how you're going to start to move past limiting beliefs so that was the first major thing other than the data point from from dr gail matthews the second major thing and michael did talk about this is that your goal needs to move you emotionally it needs to compel you and like when you think about it it needs to inspire action it needs to uh, and the word inspire means to breathe life into so that's a biblical term inspire is to breathe life into so when you it's not necessary that you you know believe in the bible or god or whatever in order to understand the concept that if you set a goal and you look at it or you read it it should breathe life into you when you review it it inspires you and it compels you to move it compels you to act like i thought the example that he used this lady that was doing her taxes or whatever she says oh you know this is my goal and and he's like oh well does that inspire and she's like no and it's like, oh, well, that's a project then. You know, that's a task that isn't really a goal. And I liked that distinction a lot that Michael made about the difference, perhaps the biggest difference between a goal and a project is that a goal inspires you. A project is something that needs to be done. It's it's a matter of fact, part of your job or part of your life or part of your survival, but it's not really the same thing as a goal. A goal is inspiring you. It's compelling you. It is calling you to action. And I think that's just really, really good. So make sure whatever your goals are, that they they have emotion behind them, that they are moving you to action. And then the third thing, and this is the last thing I wanted to share with you, and this is the thing that I missed. I completely missed it when he was talking, but when I went back and listened to the interview, he said that the the... The last R in the smarter framework, so he adds the ER, which is exciting, and then the last R was relevant. And what he said was, he said it has to be relevant to a season in your life. 
So anyways, the concept of seasons is a better reflection of how life works, that it ebbs and flows and there's these seasons. And I think what he's saying here is so brilliant. He's saying that set goals relevant to your season. In other words, be mindful of the natural limitations that are there in your life. Not the not the fictitious limiting beliefs, but the actual literal limits, right? Like if you don't have a million dollars, you might not be able to set a goal to invest in a hundred different projects. It's not a limiting belief. It's it's like an actual belief. It, it, it's, it's not even a belief. It's a circumstance. And I think maybe that's the difference is a limiting belief is is a belief. It's an idea. It's a construct. But, and those are things that you can move past. At the same time, you need to be mindful of your actual circumstances. These are things that are real, right? Like, I have a baby. That is a different, that means I am now in a different season than I have been in the past. And those are things that you just need to be mindful of. So break through your limiting beliefs. Don't construct your goals, deconstruct your goals. And be mindful of the season of your life that you are in. And don't forget to get accountability. Hopefully that will help you have your best year ever. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that helps new prospective listeners determine if the show's really a good fit for them. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.